back to another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hankst, and today we are on our second episode of a four-part series on the LGBT community. Today, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, church history. More specifically, I want to talk about it from the LGBT perspective. Just like we have American history from the Black perspective or the Indigenous people's perspective, we have church history from the LGBT community's perspective. And when it comes to church history, we are too often given one side of the story. We often hear church history from a Baptist point of view, if we hear it at all. A couple of years ago, I went to a conference on the Marian Martyrs. Queen Mary, the daughter of Henry VIII, was known as Bloody Mary for her bloody resistance to the Protestant Reformation. Pastors will sometimes preach inspiring sermons about those who have sacrificed their lives to live out their faith in Christ. Well, over the last few years, Steve Lawson held a mini-conference on church history and preached a series of sermons on different men who rocked the world, highlighting key figures for heralding the gospel. I loved his conference, Men Who Rocked the World, and it really gave me a love and a passion for church history. Although I benefited from his sermons and learned so much about these different heroes of the faith, my biggest takeaway from Lawson's Men Who Rocked the World conferences was a desire to learn more about gay church history. It seems like there were many parallels between those who were martyred for their faith and the experience of LGBT Christians. When you spend any amount of time with an older LGBT Christian, you will immediately learn about the heavy price they have had to pay, not only to come out, but to claim their Christian identity and to keep their Christian faith. Many gay Christians were beaten and killed on their way to church. Many were not allowed to even walk into the sanctuary. Now, mind you, This kind of history is not something you will necessarily read in the Reformation Trust's long line of godly men church history series. It's not even something that you might even read in history books. Not all history is written down and recorded. This kind of persecution is something you will hear from older LGB Christians as you sit down with them and earn their trust and talk with them. Learning about how LGBT Christians have overcome and are still overcoming this kind of tension and persecution is so important in our unlearning process. Learning more about gay church history will help you, no matter what your sexual orientation is, it will help you deconstruct the toxicity around homophobia and sexuality. And so we've got a lot to cover today, so let's get started. When scripture was originally written, it was not written from the cultural point of view of a Southern Baptist man in the 21st century. It was also not originally written for Gentiles, which is 95% of professing Christians. Now, I know that's obvious, but I think people forget that. We also forget that our parents and our grandparents lived in completely different generations. Not too long ago, mullets were socially acceptable. Fast food was a food group and we watched sitcoms. 
About 60 years ago, it was perfectly legal not to hire someone or allow them to eat in your restaurant because of their race, religion, gender, or nation of origin. In the 1940s and 50s, the McCarthy era reigned and there was a literal witch hunt for anyone in Hollywood or Congress who was deemed a communist. Life was so different 60 years ago. Our parents grew up in completely different worlds than the world we live in in 2021. And our grandparents grew up in even more of a different world than we find ourselves in today. If those differences are so drastic, just 20, 40, 60 years apart, imagine how different the world was 2,000 years ago when scripture was originally written. Paul wrote his letters to local churches during the Roman Greco era, and he did not intend it to be something everyone reads every morning during their quiet time. Paul wrote his letters in a time when Roman and Greek culture of antiquity was the norm. If you learn a lot about Greco-Roman culture and then do a close reading of what Paul wrote, you will find that Paul wrote in large response to Roman and Greek religion and culture of that time. For example, patriarchy, as you you can imagine, was a foundational part of Greco-Roman culture, but was way more oppressive than Paul's patriarchy. Paul's patriarchy, as outlined in Ephesians 5, was revolutionary. During Paul's time, women were property and could be killed without consequence for upsetting their husbands. The patriarchy that Paul advocated for was so different. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.25. That's huge and so different from the relational norms of Paul's time. It's important to understand that in Greco-Roman culture, the world in which Paul lived, homosexuality was not understood as we understand it today. The healthy, wonderful gay weddings we see today did not happen in Greco-Roman culture. Same sexual relationships were accepted, but they were not respected within the patriarchal paradigm. In other words, a man could have a male sexual partner, but his wife had the legal standing. And like I said before, Paul's words were often in response to what was happening, not only in the church, but in the Greco-Roman culture in which the church lived. A common practice in the Greco-Roman culture that Paul addressed, specifically in 1 Timothy and in 2 Corinthians, was male prostitution and something we call pederasty. Pederasty was a sexual relationship between an adult male and an adolescent boy. Today, we would call an adult having sex with a minor, whether same-sex or not, rape or sexual abuse. But back then it was accepted and sex was often a form of social domination. This is just one of the clobber passages or anti-gay Bible passages used to justify the judgment and exclusion of LGBT folks from the church. And we will unpack each one of these in future episodes, but I want you to just sort of understand this now. The LGBT community that we understand today was not what Paul had in mind when he wrote his letters. It wasn't even conceivable. 
kind of like how being gay and a Christian was inconceivable 60 years ago. Furthermore, loving, romantic, heterosexual marriages today were not necessarily the norm of the Greco-Roman era. Marriages were often arranged for economic or political reasons. I'm not saying that people didn't fall in love and get married until the 1900s. I'm just saying that the importance or primacy that we put on romance was not culturally accepted until recent history. Now that we've gone through an overview of what was going on when Paul wrote his epistles, I want to draw your attention to how LGBT inclusion came about in in American churches today. Since Paul wrote his letters, there have been various beliefs on same-sex relationships. Fast forward to the 1950s when Christianity and church life was the center of American culture. There was a pastor in South Carolina who struggled with his gay sexuality. And his name was Troy Perry. Troy's marriage to his wife lasted just a few years before he got divorced. He was forced to resign from his church and then began working at a Sears before being drafted into the U.S. Army. After two short years serving in the armed forces in Germany, Troy came home deeply depressed. He attempted suicide after a failed relationship with the man he was in love with. Troy also felt devastated after witnessing a friend get arrested at a gay bar. During this internal turmoil, Perry felt God calling him back to the church. In 1968, Perry posted an ad in The Advocate, a prolific magazine on LGBT news and culture. Troy placed this ad in The Advocate, for a church service for LGBT people in Los Angeles in October 6th, 1968. And on that day, Troy led his very first service as an out gay preacher for the LGBT community. The first service only held nine people, but in just a matter of months, they filled the theater for a Sunday morning service for over 600 people. By 1971, the church had over a thousand members. The church Troy Perry started is called the Metropolitan Community Church, and it is still active today. You can find the original church community, and I mean the original people who started it, in their beautiful building in Los Feliz in Los Angeles. Troy officiated gay marriages as soon as he became a pastor, and he started ordaining women clergy in 1972. The MCC Church has grown into the MCC denomination with over 222 congregations serving thousands of people, some of whom happen to be LGBT. It's an incredible denomination doing wonderful work for the gospel. Check out Troy Perry in his own words. Scripture does not condemn all homosexual behavior any more than it condemns all heterosexual behavior. Experts point out that the word homosexual does not occur in the original Greek and Hebrew language of the Bible. And some highly respected authorities conclude that these biblical passages condemn only those sexual acts that are hurtful, unloving, and exploitive. 
That's the message of Metropolitan Community Church. And that's the reason why we believe that God has placed us here for such a time as this. Why? Because there's nowhere in the gospel, nowhere where Jesus ever condemned homosexuality, not in one place. It's so important that we learn about the amazing faith of these LGBT individuals so that we understand how essential healthy theology truly is. Whether you are gay or straight or trans, I hope that learning about these Christians will inspire your own faith and your own journey towards advocating for what's right. Another person you should know is Bishop Yvette Flunder. Bishop Flunder is an African-American lesbian pastor from San Francisco. She is also an amazing leader. She is now the senior pastor of City of Refuge United Church of Christ in Oakland. She's about 15 years younger than Troy and is a big advocate for LGBT inclusion very early on in her life. In response to the AIDS pandemic, Flunder funded several nonprofits to help people affected by HIV. In 1991, she founded her church, City of Refuge, with the UCC denomination in order to unite a gospel ministry with social ministry. Check out Bishop Flunder in her own words. To my brothers and sisters and the children who are living with HIV all over the world, you are the heroes. You are the ones who have had the perseverance. You are the ones who held on to your faith. You are the ones who have often endured the stigma and the shame. I want to say to you today that God is on your side. And not only is God on your side, but we are on your side. And we'll stay with you in this struggle. When you hurt, we hurt. And when you live, we live. When you cry, we cry. But when you dance, we dance. The United Church of Christ has a very rich and long history of justice work around the difficult issues. Women in ministry, uh, receiving and affirming uh, same gender loving gay, lesbian, transgender people in ministry, uh, issues of racism and classism, and the fellowship working in many ways as an independent group of preachers and teachers and pastors seek to bring that rich heritage and the heritage of many of our backgrounds and church experience to the work of justice. It's it's about justice and Jesus. It's not about justice or Jesus. And I see that as extremely, incredibly important if we're going to do work around HIV in the world. It is LGBT Christians like Rev. Troy Perry and Bishop Yvette Flunder who have inspired so many LGBT Christians to come out and to come back to the church and to come back to their faith. They have also been part of inspiring mainline churches like the Presbyterian USA, Lutheran Disciples of Christ, and United Methodist Church to change their stance on the LGBT community. Over the last 30 to 40 years, there have been major shifts to affirm the LGBT person as fully included in the kingdom of God, and there have also been major divides. It's never been an easy journey for any of those denominations. But most of the shifts towards LGBT inclusion began with the full inclusion of women. That's why I always say this issue is not about being LGB or T. This issue is about gender and sexuality. 
Once women were allowed to be ordained as pastors in the church, the ending of discrimination based on sexuality followed. In the last few years, the United Methodist Church has been in the spotlight over their vote to ban the ordination of LGBT people in their denomination. They call this vote the traditional plan. Bishop Karen Oliveto is the first gay bishop of the UMC denomination. And she was appointed as bishop before this passed. When the vote for the traditional plan originally passed a few years ago, Bishop Oliveto was not discouraged. She had been experiencing persecution for her identity long before that rule was passed. Check out her interview on her experience in these muddy waters of being an LGBT bishop. Bishop Karen Olivito is breaking new ground. There are times when I feel that people are judging me without knowing me. Last year, Olivito was elected as the first openly gay bishop in the United Methodist Church. She presides over 400 churches in four states, including Colorado. God is so creative, so imaginative. We're not all the same, and that's something to embrace and celebrate. Olivito has been married to her partner, Robin Ridenour, a deaconess in the church, for 17 years. In April, the UMC High Court ruled that her lesbian status violated the church policies, a view echoed by many hardline Methodists. They need to renounce the election and the consecration of Reverend Oliveto as bishop. Secondly, they need to call upon her to resign her position. The court allowed Oliveto to keep her title, but left open the door for a possible trial or suspension. We've pretty much silenced the voices of LGBTQ people. And I don't know if Jesus would ever exclude in that way. Olivito says in her 10 months as bishop, the response from parishioners has been overwhelmingly positive. Meanwhile, she's hoping eventually the church will see diversity in a different light. Unity isn't the same thing as uniformity. And it is in the tension of our differences that we all grow more. Bishop Oliveto gave a guest lecture at my religious leadership class last semester at Claremont School of Theology. And she's truly amazing. In her lecture, she really emphasized the importance of meeting people where they are at and to go to meet them and to be with them. She recalled spending her early days as a young pastor in a rural church going to people's farms to meet and connect with them, and her wife making her leave her boots outside when she came home so as to not drag any of the manure through her house. Bishop Oliveto is truly a pastor, and she is absolutely a gift to the church. The last person I want to draw your attention to is Matthew Vines. He's a little bit younger than me, and he's done so much for the LGBT community in the last 20 years. He's the author of a really popular book called God and the Gay Christian. You might want to check it out, especially if this issue is so new to you. And he started a conference for LGBT Christian advocacy and inclusion, and he called it it, the Reformation Project. He too is amazing. Check out a little bit of his story. I grew up in a strong Christian home in Wichita, Kansas, and a conservative evangelical church there. That's where my parents had gone to church well before I was even born. And that was really the staple of our social and community lives. Homosexuality was never really discussed openly. It didn't need to be, though, because it was not something that was seen as even a debatable matter. There was just, there was no room for 
a different understanding or perspective on same-sex relationships, you can either stay in the closet and live a kind of miserable, tortured life, uh, or you can come out and be cast out. I was not wanting either of those options, obviously. And so what I decided to do was to go back home and to try to engage first my parents and then our church community as a whole on the Bible and same-sex relationships. My hope in this episode is to give you an overview of key people in LGBT Christian history. Let their stories and ministries inspire you. Normally, I have a list of five things you should do to help you deconstruct, but today I only have one. The one thing I want to really encourage you to do is to go to the website gaychurch.org and find an LGBT-affirming church in your area. It's important to understand that a church is only LGBT-affirming when LGBT people are fully included in all aspects of worship. In other words, if the denomination or church would not ordain or hire LGBT clergy, whether or not that person is in a relationship, they are not fully affirming. Go to a fully affirming church and be around gay Christian people. Watch them pray and raise their hands in worship and be in community. Let their love and their presence and their faith help you unlearn the homophobia you inherited. And may God bless you with a greater love, not only for others, but for yourself. Until next time, this is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and thank you for listening to the Unlearning Podcast.